The Coin Week podcast is brought to you by PCGS. If you're like me and have a little downtime, you might want to get up to date about the latest prices, populations, and research about rare coins. Folks, PCGS CoinFacts has you covered with a virtual library of high-quality images from Phil Arnold and his team of photographic geniuses, coin narratives from leading experts in the field, and millions of data points, CoinFacts has you covered. And best of all, it's free. Visit www.pcgs.com to learn more. This week on the Coin Week podcast, I dig into the pages of my new book, 100 Greatest Modern World Coins, written with my friend and Coin Week assistant editor Hubert Walker and published by Whitman. We'll talk about numismatics of the 20th century, read one from our 100 fascinating coin narratives in the book, and I'll wrap this up with my thoughts about working on the project. All of this is next on the Coin Week podcast. When we wrote 100 Greatest Modern World Coins, one of the things we set out to do was to tell a certain story about the 20th century that I felt doesn't often get covered in numismatic writing. The 20th century was a century like no other, and understanding world coins of the 20th century and why we collect them is important for understanding the meaning of these objects. When we look at the coins we spend on a day-to-day -day basis, even the less numismatically inclined among us might ask, how did we end up with coins like this? The effigies, the inscriptions, the use of dates, the different sizes and shapes, all of these details have held remarkably consistent over the years. Until recently, uh, in the United States anyway, our paper money seemed to change more often than our coins. But if we can see past our own experience with coins and look back just a few generations, the striking and radical changes to coinage that have taken place over the last century or so come into sharper focus. Coins have had a changing significance in our lives and in the economy. A great shift has taken place in attitudes about coins and their role in commerce. The situation obviously is not the same everywhere, but major economic factors such as inflation, a change in precious metals to base metals, consumer preference for paper money, and the rapid growth of electronic payment systems have had dramatic effects on the utility of coins as a circulating medium. By metallism and the gold standard that we used to know has been replaced by base metallism. International trade, which in previous centuries was heavily reliant upon special trade coinage, has matured to the point where debits and credits of astronomical amounts can be moved around digitally. Even paper cash, the physical money replacement of coinage has become increasingly irrelevant and its authenticity and use sometimes has become suspect. This monetary evolution may seem sudden and surprising, but the reality is that this is a shift born both of necessity and expedience. Simply put, we are presently bearing witness to the end of one era of money dominated by physical coins and paper currency and the transition into another dominated by electronic debits and credits. Of course, the mints of the world still produce coinage for circulation, and new coins of each denomination are struck every year, which we receive and spend freely. 
but the production of circulating coinage is just part of the workloads that the mints now undertake. The 20th century saw the proliferation of coinage not intended for circulation, which means not intended to be used as real money. Chief among these, the modern bullion coin and the mass-produced collector coin, which have become two of the industry's main sources of revenue and principal drivers behind many of the new technologies now being employed. This, we are convinced, justifies the categorical separation of this new type of coinage from those that precede it, because it is coinage in name only, and is not struck with any bearing on a respective country's monetary system. For the most part, we have not included much in the way of postmodern coinage in our book, as we feel the topic deserves serious study in its own right. Where we have included such bullion or collector-specific pieces, it is as much for their value to the narrative of modern age of world coins as it is for their worth or beauty. If we accept that almost all of the new products a collector might buy directly from world mints today are something other than modern coins, some have called them ultra-modern, then what exactly is a modern coin? For us, the era of modern coinage overlaps with the changes wrought by the rapid industrialization that many countries experienced in the first 80 years of the 20th century. We don't believe this is too controversial a concept, though as American coin collectors born in the second half of the century, we're familiar with the way terms like classic and modern are applied to U.S. coinage. Current usage in the American hobby is mostly a reaction to the transition to copper-nickel clad coinage in 1965. But the terms meant something different in 1915, and they certainly meant something different in 1865. It just so happens that these changes were accelerated around the close of the 19th century, as industry spread from its beginnings in Western Europe to Europe's colonies and the rest of the world. Many reformers, revolutionaries, and opportunists in Asia and Latin America saw the desperate need for modernization as it was the only real means of repelling the imperialists in the West and asserting their independence. Sometimes these modernizing forces encountered stiff resistance from entrenched power, as in China, and sometimes these forces emanated from the seat of power, as in Japan. In both instances, new coinage was required to meet the needs of a different socioeconomic structure than the one that came before. Besides enabling the steamships and armaments that allowed Europe to conquer much of the world, industrialization affected other changes in its home continent. Foremost among those was a sense of political identity transcending the petty fiefdoms of an older age. Nationalism began to mold the borders of Europe, creating powerful new nation-states like the larger German kingdoms and the consolidated Italy, which produced their own coinage to reflect their newfound national pride and economic power. The railroads of the 19th century started to shrink the world, but the invention of aviation and electronic communications finished the job. While what happened in one part of the world had always had an impact on events in another, the fact was now laid bare and the effects were more immediate. A global economic nervous system came into place, forcing those in a position to see the big picture to rethink what they thought they knew about money. Many of the coins in this book were struck according to the standards and rules of the Latin Monetary Union an early attempt at a multinational currency and a precursor to such superstates as the European Union. Beyond the perceived benefits of a single currency for a unitary international market, perhaps the most penetrating aspect of this rethink was the permanent debasement of most of the world's coinage in the 20th century. 
Even as some parts of the world, such as Tibet, were only beginning to create gold coinage, other parts began to abandon the gold standard as too inflexible for this new age. As nationalism and technology combined to fight for the scraps that imperialism left in the wake of the world wars, it became evident that even the continued use of silver was unsustainable for modern economies. In turn, nations around the world began to adopt base metal coinage for commerce, made legal tender by government fiat. These are but a few of the fascinating changes to world coins that have taken place in the modern moment. The essays within this book demonstrate the effects of others. Now, when it came to selecting the greatest modern world coins, uh, Hubert and I undertook a very lengthy process where we looked at each coin's output in the 20th century. Now, we could have picked an earlier date to start, but I felt that the story of the 20th century was paramount to understanding a certain era of numismatics and world history. And so we tried to outline what we defined as great by looking at what some of the other authors of Whitman's 100 Greatest series had to say. So we looked at the following topics. Rarity. You know, generally speaking, coins are struck to be an instrument of commerce uh, that trade freely in exchange for goods and services. And in order to achieve this goal, they should not be rare. But there are instances where coins are struck in very limited numbers. Uh, among our selections in this book, you'll find coins struck for kings and queens and coins struck in limited numbers as presentation pieces for important members of government, pattern coins accidentally released into circulation, proof issues struck in lower numbers than their circulation strike counterparts, and coins that, for whatever reason, have had most of their mintages lost to time. So rarity is an important factor in what affects a coin's numismatic worth, but it is not the sole indicator of it, and there are coins in our book that are not rare at all. Uh, innovation is another topic. Uh, you know, over the course of the 20th century, mints around the world introduced a number of important innovations that changed the global landscape of coins. Some of these creations were technical and involved processes and alloys used to strike coins. Some are artistic and introduced bold new aesthetics for coin design that paved the way for a global reimagining of the art form. Other innovations were driven by necessity or the needs of the market, such as uh, long overdue coinage reforms or the introduction of bullion coins as investment instruments. So the 20th century introduced enormous challenges to the continued utility of coins as a circulating medium. Every step of the way, the world's coin producers, both big and small, rose to the challenge and secured a viable place for coinage. Uh, then there was the issue of coin sets. Uh, Hubert and I looked at a number of coin sets, feeling that they belonged together, and they were considered as such. Uh, some of the greatest coins of the century uh, need to be viewed in that broader context. Not every entry in our book uh, is an individual coin. In certain instances, uh, coin sets are included. And some of these sets include coins that, if they were split up, more than one coin from the set would have made our list. Other entries are known to collectors primarily as sets, and it would be inconceivable to talk about one coin without discussing the others. So whenever possible, we, we chose to include these as sets so we could valorize as many coins as possible in our list. There are oddities and emergency issues. 
you know, amazing uh, resilience has been displayed by human beings throughout the 20th century and some of the most trying times. Some of the most fascinating numismatic stories that unfold in our book uh, center around coins that are little off the beaten path. Uh, some are limited run vanity issues projecting power and prestige of failed kings and despots issued on the cusp of their overthrow, while others are crudely made pieces of emergency money issued by revolutionaries or by desperate people whose revolutionary idea was to survive no matter the cost. If holding a coin is like holding history in your hands, the coins in any hundred greatest should be those of iconic stature. And so from that list, I'd like to present you one of our narratives, one of our 100 narratives, something uh, Huber and I spent a few hours over the week discussing which one we would pick, which one sort of represents uh, some of the most interesting aspects. And uh, the coin I'm going to read to you about is not in the top 10, not in the top 20. Uh, it's actually something that comes much later in the book. Uh, but it's a beautiful coin. It's actually one of my favorites. And that coin is number 58 on our list. It is the Mexican 1916 Oaxaca Gold 60 Pesos. The 1916 Oaxaca Gold 60 Pesos is a coin that honors a revolutionary hero and is a stuff of Mexican numismatic legend. On the obverse, you have a left-facing head of Benito Juarez, offset slightly high, off-center, Beneath him, a vegetal wreath is tied together by a ribbon. The inscription wraps around the central device and it reads, Estado LYS de Oaxaca, 60 pesos oro, for the free and sovereign state of Oaxaca, 60 gold pesos. A vegetal ornament borders the rim. On the reverse, Libertad is inscribed in a cap before a glory of race. Beneath are a balanced scale, a sword, and a scroll, which reads Le. The inscription wraps around the motif and reads Republica Mexicana 902.7 TM1916. TM are the initials of Mint Director Teofilo Monroy. The coin is made of gold, weighs 49.994 grams, has a diameter of 39 millimeters, has coin alignment, a reeded edge, with an unknown mintage, and is extremely difficult to acquire. The Mexican Revolution of 1910 to 1920 stands as one of the most consequential domestic upheavals of the 20th century. It began as an attempt to wrest control away from corrupt elites, eliminate international interference in domestic politics, of which the American government and businesses played a large role, and remove perennial president General Porfirio Diaz from office via the ballot box. But it devolved into a decade-long bloody and chaotic conflict that cost more than 1.2 million Mexicans their lives and displaced hundreds of thousands of people, many of them forming the first major wave of Mexican immigrants to the United States. It was a period of brave heroes and ruthless villains, of roaming posses and military chieftains, and it was a period of cultural reawakening. The major players remained firmly enshrined in Mexican folklore. There was Emiliano Zapata, a poor tenant farmer from the south-central Mexican state of Morelos, who rose up against the federal armies, took Mexico City three times, and fought to return lands to the indigenous population. He was betrayed and killed in 1919. There was social reformer and failed president Francisco Madero, a revolutionary leader who overthrew Diaz's regime in 1911, but ultimately failed to stabilize the country or enact needed reforms. He was assassinated in 1913. 
From the northern state of Chihuahua was Jose Dorotio Arango Arambula, better known as Francisco Pancho Villa. Villa was a firebrand of a revolutionary leader whose exploits, both real and imagined, captured the imagination of people on both sides of the U.S.-Mexican border. His love for his fellow countrymen and pursuit of social reforms made him a hero. His brutality and ruthlessness made him a target for his political adversaries, as well as for U.S. General John J. Pershing and the United States Army. Almost executed by firing squad in 1912 after slapping revolutionary general and eventual dictator Victoriano Huerta, Villa met his end in 1923 when gunmen ambushed his Dodge touring car in the streets of Parral. From this period of political upheaval, vying factions, and larger-than-life revolutionaries serves an incomprehensibly complex tranche of coins and banknotes. Some are well-documented, while others remain enigmatic and mysterious. Of the hundreds of state and regional issues, many of which are scarce or rare today, perhaps the most coveted are the revolutionary coinage of the Mexican state Oaxaca. This southern state is far removed from the U.S.-Mexican border. Its geography comprises of dense forests and rugged mountains, and its shores open up to the Pacific Ocean by the way of the Gulf of Tehuantepec. Its population largely consists of indigenous tribes of the Zapotec and Mixtec Indians. Its largest city, Oaxaca, had a population of roughly 50,000 people at the time of the revolution. This was hardly an area out of which one would expect one of the 20th century's greatest coins. After seceding from Mexico on June 3, 1915, Governor Jose Inez Davila ordered the reopening of the old Oaxaca Mint so the newly formed republic could begin to strike its own coinage. An American engraver residing in Oaxaca named John Decoe was hired to cut the dies. The resulting coins, produced in limited numbers and mostly destroyed, featured the likeness of Benito Pablo Juarez, the 19th century revolutionary who overthrew the Mexican Empire of Austrian-born Maximilian I. Juarez was a native son of Oaxaca. The coins issued in denominations ranging from one centavo to 60 pesos were struck in copper, silver, and a limited number of pieces in gold. The rarest of them all was the 60 pesos a large gold coin weighing nearly 50 grams. American collectors first caught notice of the coinage in the years immediately following their manufacture. In 1916, coin promoter and past ANA president Farron Zerbe exhibited some 50 examples of the coinage to those in attendance at Baltimore's Peabody Institute for the 17th Convention of the American Numismatic Association. In 1920, collector M. Sorensen wrote of the coinage in great detail in the April issue of The Numismatist. Of the 60 pesos, Sorensen noted the mintage was but a paltry 21 pieces. He claimed that two were in the hands of the consuls from France and England. One belonged to a German merchant, and two arrived in New York in April 1917 by way of Oaxaca resident Gustave Bellon. One of these is impounded in the collection of the American Numismatic Society, and Sorensen claimed possession of the other. The ANS also has in its collection the original dies which were donated on January 27, 1941, by collector E. H. Window. Sorensen also claimed a total of 14 were allegedly buried by wealthy Oaxaca natives. What became of the two outstanding pieces not listed in Sorensen's account remains unclear. What is known is that the 60 pesos is seldom seen at auction. NGC reports seven grading events for the issue, with the finest being the dazzling example with full luster that grades MS-66. 
An example formerly part of the Josiah K. Lilly collection was donated to the Smithsonian Institution by the Lilly Estate and is currently on display at the National Museum of American History's Value of Money exhibition. In 2003, Heritage Auctions offered a curious example, one that was struck over a hand-on-book eight escudos. It is unclear whether this possibly unique piece was struck contemporaneously with the regular issue or was made later using the original dies. When numismatic writer Richard Giedrock compiled his list of top 100 world and ancient coins of the millennium for PCGS, he ranked the Erzatz Oaxaca 60 pesos over strike number 72. Although we are inclined to gently disagree with that assessment, there's no denying that the original 21 coins struck certainly rank among the greatest world coins of the 20th century. Our 100 Greatest Modern World Coins book is available for pre-order on our Coin Week supply site and other retailers online. It is due to be released on April 20th, and it was a real pleasure researching and writing about these coins, trying to put together narratives that were both interesting and fascinating, and delved into aspects of history and how they came into contact with these coins. Some of our favorite coin narratives include those about the 1967 Krugerrand, which makes the list, the Ludz ghetto coinage made for, by the Jews in the ghetto of Litzmannstadt during the Holocaust. There is also the story of the first coins bearing the effigy of Queen Elizabeth, the South African Veld Pond, and the surprise listing of a modern coin series made for commemorative purposes only, which changed the face of European numismatics. There are so many great coin stories from all over the world that we tried to tell in this book that it was really a challenge and a joy to bring these stories to life. I hope you like the book. I hope you like the narrative I provided today on the Coin Week podcast, and we will bring more great news and information about coins in the days and weeks to come. For Coin Week, I'm editor Charles Morgan. Till next time, happy collecting.